Just like that, the second hour is here. Hot Mike with Hutton Withrow across the Outkick Network. Glad you're with us. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Ehop Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Coming up in 20 minutes, Clay Travis will join us. And uh, originally going to join us in hour two, but now in hour three, Tom Glavin. As the Braves and Phillies will be uh, underway, I believe. Yeah. Going into yeah, uh, game will, three for them. Uh, first pitch an hour and seven minutes from now, 5.07 Eastern time. Chad, we've got uh, plenty to discuss uh, over the next uh, couple of hours. That Kansas is being docked a Final Four banner, from what I understand. I'm looking up the story now that just came down. Um, you and I, I think, agree on this. The, the whole, we're taking down the banners, like we saw at Louisville with Patino. It's like, whatever. The, the season's happened. Uh, you can vacate wins all you want to. The moments that took place, the victories and the losses for other teams that they faced, um, those happened. And the, the slap on the wrist years later is an afterthought where you look back and it, here we are in 2023, about to begin the college basketball season around the corner. And I think f- for the most part, we look back at 2018 and think, well, well, that happened. It's a 24-hour news cycle, and you move on. Yeah. Um, the only way to really get at these programs, though, is the way that I don't think anyone in their right mind thinks should happen, and that's to penalize them moving forward. I mean, if you really want to attack someone for wrongdoings in the past, you say you, three years you can't go to the NCAA tournament. If you're Kansas, whatever it is, and that doesn't serve anything because it's not fair – to the players that are there at that time, right? In some cases, different coaches that are there. The other way to really get to them is just suspend a coach for a season. That was a part of it if they're still there. And no, right? pun- no punishment for Bill Self in yeah. this with the D'Souza uh, ineligible. Uh, they went 15-5, and five, I believe, with him. I think this is just such like not even a half measure, a quarter measure of yeah. doing something that if you're really that mad at Kansas, then suspend Bill Self for a bunch of games. Again, if you really want to affect someone, you say you can't go to the tournament this year or next year, whatever. It does. It, I don't agree with that though, because the players here now, I agree, have nothing to do with that. And why punish someone who wasn't there when the the problems took place? And the vacation of wins, and Davey's got some further details of this. They they take away wins, and that puts them just below Kentucky now for all time wins. Yes. Which is also, oh, that's so yeah, before that's, that's the real punishment, I guess. Before today, Kansas had 2,385 wins with them losing those 15. They're now seven behind Kentucky, who Kentucky now number one with 2,377 all time wins. Has Kentucky ever had to vacate anything? You I know would, they have it under Calipari. So. Joe B. Hall got into trouble. Uh, Rick Patino, when he took over, inherited a mess. Did Billy Gillespie get in trouble for something? Yes. But I don't know that but he didn't win enough games to matter in terms of vacation. But I don't think that they vacated anything when those things happen. I need to go back and look. But when I heard that, I'm thinking, oh, surely Kentucky's had to vacate some games in, in their past. Apparently not. Well, they are once Congratulations, again, the, Wildcat the fans. The NCAA's all-time winningest program. Congratulations. Kentucky Wildcats. Kentucky Wildcat fans everywhere. Hey, this just coming down from Variety. Just yep. quickly, we can discuss later. Jada Pinkett-Smith has spoken about Will Smith. And about uh, Chris Rock and the slap says that Chris on Rock, October eleventh, twenty twenty three. Two years later, Chris okay. Rock came down to the end of the stage afterward and apologized to her, saying he didn't mean any harm by it. And she said, "We can't talk about this right now. We're not going to discuss it." She also reveals in this interview that Chris Rock asked her out on a date when he thought that her and Will Smith were separated. Oh, 
when the rumors were out there about that, that she says he called her up and said, I'd like to take you out. And she said, what do you mean? And he said, you guys are getting a divorce, right? And uh, apparently they were not. So she reveals that as well. It's was a very, I was, just, I was skimming this before, interview. Before the slap? This was before the slap. Okay. And before the joke. So in 2016, this was during the Oscar So White controversy. Yeah. Jada Pinkett Smith boycotted the Oscars. And Chris Rock was the host that year and made a joke about, you know, the Oscars have boycotted her work for years. <laughs> and it doesn't really matter if Jada Pinkett Smith, yeah. something along those lines. And she took offense to that. So she thinks this was all brewing from that, him getting denied when he asked her out, and then the follow-up joke about her that led to Will Smith slapping him. We were talk- I love this drama. We were talking about Steven Spielberg works earlier. Spielberg set to be an executive producer, and Chris Rock will be directing a biopic about Martin Luther King Jr., we all know who will not be playing Martin Luther King Jr. I'd say that's uh, one biopic that Will Smith will not be involved in, yeah. for sure. Did a great job as Muhammad Ali, though. So he did get that opportunity and crushed it. Uh, Chad A-Chain's been uh, placed on injured reserve. It's not good. No, it sucks. He was averaging 12 yards per carry, over 12 yards per carry uh, through uh, the season, on the season so far, not just in a game, which is nuts. Uh, so he's out for at least the next four. Miami plays the Panthers at home. Eagles on the road, Patriots at home, Chiefs on the road in those games. They have a bye week after the Chiefs, so it'll be week 11 that'll be the earliest possible return date for the rookie standout, which not only sucks for the, you know, just the football fans in general that want to see him play crazy. Again, we talked about this with Mike Renner earlier in the show, third round pick fastest guy at the combine. Um, crazy though, because it, it sucks because of the, the rookie numbers and the, the path he's on for potential offensive rookie of the year. Well, he was on my fantasy team, still is, oh, there you um, go, too. but he's got problems. I'm, I'm one in four now in fantasy football, Hutton, in our old Smoky League. Seven touchdowns in three games for Chad with A-Chain on the roster. Oh, well, let, let me tell you about this past week. So I go into the final nine. I'm down 11 points, Okay. and I've got Jordan Love and Devontae Adams oh, no. going. I score 10.8 points between the two of them. I'm, I turn on the game on the Manning cast to watch – Peyton and Eli joke about, hey, you know, you've got Devontae Adams on your team. Might want to target him a couple times. Maybe a chance to throw him the ball a little bit. I was certain that I had won with those two guys yet to play. And nope, Jordan Love, pathetic. Three Devontae picks. Adams, not many opportunities all in that game, and I lose. Chad, do we all lose if uh, Jerry Seinfeld really wants to uh, get a reunion together of Seinfeld and address the ending of the show that has sparked so much debate? Isn't it uh, too little too late? I, I want to yes. know the nature of the reunion. I, I don't care about when they had this whole, whole hoopla about the cast of Friends was going to have a reunion. If you're going to bring the show back, okay, you've got my attention. Frazier's coming back, for God's sakes. You can bring anything back na- nowadays. If they're going to get together and talk on a stage, don't care. If you actually want to have another season of Seinfeld, I'm interested. I think it's a huge mistake to bring back Seinfeld. It's nearly perfect as it was. I don't have a big objection to the ending of the show. It's sort of fitting for what the show was, a show about nothing. But I'm tired of hyping up things that turn into, you know, a big emotional reunion where you get on stage and tell stories with each other. I don't care about that. If you're going to bring the show back, let's discuss it. But that's all I'm interested in. He's uh, teasing this with uh, Boston Globe Media uh, and NBC10 Boston put this out. I have a little secret for you about the ending. Uh, here's what I 
I'll tell you, but I can't tell anybody. Again, he's kind of trolling here. He's, something's going to happen that has to do with that ending. Hasn't happened yet. And just what you're thinking about, Larry and I have also been thinking about it, so you'll see. That was his mention of the reunion and the fixing the ending. But, I mean, the ending happened. It's like, uh, you know, Chad, it, it, two opposite ends here of, of fandom. Because Seinfeld is loved and beloved and quoted all the time. But like you know, Game of Thrones, you, you ran out of the books, so they wrote their own ending. I don't care to know about the book's ending now. You know? Yeah. What happened, happened. Can I give you a, my guess on what I think might happen? Go ahead. There's one season left of Curb Your Enthusiasm okay. that Larry David created. About four seasons ago, this is like eight years ago, they do a season every two or three years. One of them, this is probably longer than that, maybe eight, nine, ten years ago. They had a season of the show that was based around a Seinfeld reunion. And they brought every cast member. It was a real-life thing, though. It's all behind the scenes. They had table reads and everything else where Julia Louis-Dreyfus, Jason Alexander, Michael Richards, everyone was in a season, Jerry Seinfeld, of Curb Your Enthusiasm, and they were hinting at a possible reunion season, but it never happened over the course of that season of Curb Your Enthusiasm. They could rewrite the ending of Seinfeld in the final season of Curb Your Enthusiasm and make that an episode of the show. That would just be a that's, part of Kirby enthusiasm. That's, that's a pretty not clever. A bad idea. It's a pretty clever way to do it, right? That you're joking about how everyone hates it, and then it's all making fun of it on the show. But the show within the show, you could actually do an episode of Seinfeld or talk about a new ending for it. I'm kind of on board for that. Uh, if I would be on board if we wanted to put out odds for this, maybe PointsBet has that. Maybe you've convinced me, Chad. Uh, if you haven't taken your shot with PointsBet, now is the perfect moment. The big reason why. Exclusively for first-time PointsBet users, you can grab this unique offer. Uh, right now, PointsBet users get up to $1,000 in second-chance bets. If your first bet doesn't go as planned, PointsBet has your back with a second chance. You can get this offer by visiting outkick.com bet, outkick.com bet. Complete the registration process with PointsBet. Make your first bet. If your first bet happens to lose, that's when your second-chance bets come into play. Remember, terms and conditions apply. you got to be 21 or older in legal gambling states. Gambling problem, 1-800-GAMBLER. Outkick.com slash bet is where you can go to check out these great offers. Time for On the Bus, Off the Bus with Davey Hudson. Davey's got his uh, sunglasses on as well. We've got to drive the bus. That's, uh, that's how this works, guys. we got some MLB, we got some NFL, and we got some college football today. But to get us started, we're going to Philadelphia. And uh, Chad, I know you've, you've got a big interest in this one, but if the Phillies win tonight, they will win the series. Yes, Yes, absolutely. If they win tonight, they will win the series. If um, the Braves win tonight, they win the series. Yeah, this is uh, the, the all-so-pivotal all Game 3, as they say in every series in sports throughout time, and it's one of the most played-out, tired expressions. But it holds true, especially in this series. I, I, I think if the Phillies get within one game of locking it up, I think a win this game late this afternoon – I think the Phillies win it. I, I'm kind of with Hutton, though. I think this is this is it. Aaron Nola versus Bryce Elder for the Braves yep. could very well des- decide this series <laughs> well, in this and, game three. And the reason I say that, Davey, uh, Chad, is because if the Braves win this, that means the Bats woke up in that eighth inning, or sixth and eighth inning of uh, game two, and they go on to win game three. And I think that's just Atlanta's pace at that point. Yeah, uh, Zach Wheeler's a big problem for the Braves. They finally got to him late in game two. Aaron Nola, he's very good. The Braves can hit him better than Wheeler. I think the Braves score runs in this game, which has been a big problem, shockingly, for them through the first two games. Um, 
It's going to be tough, though. That, that's a tough place to win. Phillies money line minus 120. If you want to take the Braves, you know, plus 105. But heading on, we're going down to Cincinnati and the Bengals. They have life. Will the Bengals make the playoffs? Chad, I think they do. I think this is your seventh seed, though, uh, Cincinnati. Because I think it's going to be a very up-and-down season uh, for, for uh, Burrow with the calf. He's playing through it and at times plays very well uh, delivering the football to uh, Chase and others. Um, but here's the main issue with why I think they're, they're barely going to get in. They play a gauntlet of a schedule. Uh, we mentioned they've got the Seahawks this week. They go to their bye week, and then they, hope they visit the 49ers, then they host the Bills. But even after that, they still have divisional matchups, which are going to be very difficult with the Ravens and Steelers. Uh, and they still play the Vikings, the Colts, and they have the Chiefs in the second to last week of the season on New Year's Eve. It is a brutal gauntlet. A lot of those games are on the road. That's why I think they're barely going to make it in, but they do it because of the quarterback play. I don't think they're getting in. I think the AFC is just too brutal. Uh, the the one and three start is going to doom them. It, it was encouraging this past Sunday with Joe Burrow, who after that game here in Nashville, we thought this guy's not right. Yeah, I don't know if he's going to get right anytime soon. Then he went off the injury report. Yeah, then suddenly, uh, again, it was like Mr. Miyagi's miracle I know, I know. cure got to his calf, and he was totally fine. So I'm encouraged by that. Again, a team I placed a bet on before the season to win the Super Bowl. But if I had to guess right now, I think they're going to be just slightly on the outside looking in. All right, guys, traveling all the way across the country, we're going to Seattle, Washington, and huge game for Pac-12 implications, but the winner of Oregon versus Washington State will win the Pac-12. Absolutely, and and here's why. USC doesn't have a defense, and, and Caleb Williams is awesome, and I've seen so many Caleb Williams highlights at this point, but they're getting beat in the third quarter by Arizona, on Saturday, that they can't stop them at times. You're right. They're not going to stop Washington and Oregon. And while I don't think Washington and Oregon have great defenses, they've got a defense. And that's something that Alex Grinch at USC has not had while he's been leading the defense. I think this is the Pac-12 championship game we're witnessing this Saturday, Hut. Washington's got a a, a tough schedule coming up. It starts, it it has started, but they've got Oregon this week, of course. Davey, we're talking regular season? Yes. Uh, Are we talking Pac-12 championship game? I think the loser of this game, because I think it's going to be a phenomenal matchup. I think the loser flips the script and potentially beats the winner. That's the path for the Pac-12 to get two teams into the college football playoff. If the winner of of Saturday's game runs the table in the regular season, but loses to either Washington or Oregon, whoever ends up losing this game. And that team also has one loss. It's an excellent point. Going to be a great top 10 matchup out West. And as we travel down the coast, back to the NFL, but Christian McCaffrey, he's going to win the Offensive Player of the Year. Yeah, I think he is. I mean, he's, he's the identity of San Francisco. The 49ers have so many different versatile options, but he's the consistent force that puts up numbers, touchdowns, yards, um, and... It's not going to be Brock Purdy. It's going to end up being Christian McCaffrey. And keep in mind why it's a, it's a good question because of Offensive Player of the Year. It's not MVP. MVP will be a quarterback, and then Offensive Player of the Year will go to a skilled position, and it's going to be Christian McCaffrey. I want to go with the Dolphin uh, with this answer, maybe Tyreek Hill, but they spread the wealth so well there. 
I don't think that's going to be it. I'm going to go yes also. I'm, I'm on the bus. Christian McCaffrey is going to be Offensive Player of the Year this year, and, and Hutton's right. Unfortunately, um, you can't even consider a non-quarterback being MVP, it feels like, year after year. Yep. That's going to be the case again this year. Okay, guys, quickly, staying in the NFC West, the L.A. Rams are a playoff contender as we hit the end of the line in Los Angeles. Yeah, I think they are. Right contender, now, absolutely. Right now at 2-3, and three, also at 2-3, and three, Green Bay, New Orleans. Uh, yeah, and then ahead of them, some teams that are going to beat up on each other. Yeah, L.A.'s in. The problem is they have to play Seattle and San Francisco again. Playoff contender, yes. Playoff team, probably not. Play Travis next. Hall of Famer, Tom Glavin. He will be with us in an hour. Hot Mike with Henry Withrow rolls on across the Outkick I thought network. you were about to say Hall of, Hall of Famer Clay Travis. Well, and I was thinking, Clay's in a Hall of Fame somewhere? I'm sure somewhere. I bet he is. If not, he, he will be soon. May not be with his alma mater based on the tweet that I'm reading oh, right okay. now. I don't think he's going to be inducted in the George Washington University Hall of Fame anytime soon. Clay's got to be in a Hall of Fame somewhere, though. Let's ask him. I'm sure MLK may have honored him in some way. Clay, welcome. Are you a Hall of Famer? I don't, not that I know of. I mean, I think I probably would meet the criteria lots of places, but uh, but so far as I know, I I'm not uh, I've not attended any Hall of Fame induction ceremonies. Has your high school honored you in any way? No, that surprises not that me. I'm aware of that surprises me. I, to be fair, I mean, I was a commencement speaker. Um, yeah. I guess that kind of would count as potential being honored, but um, I haven't. I this is, yeah, not. I don't know that we have a Hall of Fame to be honest. Um, so. Uh, you know, I guess I could endow one and make myself the first inductee, which would probably be probably be a, probably be a heck of a move by me. Now that I think of Travis Gymnasium, uh, but I don't think there is one. The Clay yeah. Travis Hall of Fame. Not uh, only is he a Hall of Famer, but he's got the naming rights of a Hall of Fame. Would be great. Yeah, and I'm the inaugural inductee. Um, that would be uh, that would be a heck of a uh, a heck of a move. Clay, last time uh, we were in College Station, it was uh, an epic finish. And uh, same goes for, for this past weekend. You were there once again. Uh, Bama es- escapes with the win, however. Uh, they get the victory over the, the, the Aggies, the Texas A&M Aggies. What did you make of the weekend? And now, all of a sudden, here we are, the second week of October, and Georgia and Alabama seem to be slated for Atlanta. Well, I mean, I thought that Alabama would lose an ugly game to Texas A&M, and instead they won an ugly game against Texas A&M. That's kind of what stood out to me uh, more than anything else associated with it. Um, And by the way, I'm at the airport if people uh, can't hear, um, getting ready to fly back from New York. Uh, But um, I, I look, I mean, I think Alabama is probably around the 10th or 12th best team in America this year. I don't think they're particularly good. Uh, but that may be good enough to, uh, to certainly go to Atlanta this year. Um, and unless LSU can run the table, obviously there's nobody else really you can point to because I don't think Alabama's going to lose two games. Off the top of my head, I think they have five SEC games left. Kentucky, Arkansas, Tennessee, LSU, and one other team Auburn. that is not Auburn. much of a threat, Auburn. Yeah, um, you know I know it's a rivalry game, but Auburn doesn't have much offensive weaponry right now. So I don't think they're going to lose two. Uh, and I don't think LSU is going to run the table the rest of the way. And if I'm correct in that, then Alabama's probably going to represent the West uh, in Atlanta. And in the East, Clay, I don't see Georgia losing a game with the schedule they have left. 
they figure it out against Kentucky. They blow them out 51-13. to And every year it feels like around this time, early October, there's a lot of big pieces written about Kentucky and their football excellence, and it all falls apart during this month when the game starts to get harder. And now you got Mark Stoops on his coaching coaches show saying, oh, you want to beat Georgia? Pony up more dollars because they're paying for players better than ours, and I can't compete if you're not donating to NIL causes. What what'd you make of, of what Mark Stoops had to say? Well, so I think it's really funny because if you're on Kentucky's team now, you're like, thank coach. Uh, you know, like uh, basically we think uh, we need to be replaced by players that deserve to be paid better and are better than us. So I don't think that probably plays very well, I wouldn't imagine, in the locker room. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think, look, there are certain teams that I think schedule well, and Kentucky seems to have done a good job of scheduling. Now, to be fair, they beat uh, Florida. But if I'm correct, Kentucky has the left. I mean, I know they play Missouri this weekend. They've got Tennessee. They've got Alabama. Uh, they've got Louisville. Uh, and they've got South Carolina. Now, that's just five teams off the top of my head that I believe they all still have left. And it wouldn't shock me if they lost all five games. So I think Kentucky is closer to a 6-6 six and six team than they are a 12-0 uh, and 0 team. And I suspect that will reveal itself over the next uh, seven weeks or so. Clay A and M is one and eight in their last nine road games. This weekend, they're they're in Knoxville to take on Tennessee. Does does the winner of this game get to nine wins? Does the loser potentially only have seven? Yeah, I mean, look, I think it's a huge game for both Tennessee and Texas A and M because A and M still has Ole Miss and LSU both on the road. I believe um, at, at a minimum, those are tough games, uh, and Tennessee obviously still has. Uh, at Kentucky, at Mizzou, um, uh, Georgia, and Knoxville, and uh, and you know that those are not easy games to and then uh, you know at Alabama, those are not easy games to break down. So I think if Tennessee wins, they have a decent chance of going nine and three. Um, I think if they lose, they're probably a seven and five team. Uh, that's the way that I would kind of swing it. Um, and I think very much the same thing could be true of of A and M as to whether or not they can get to eight and four, for instance, or whether they're seven and five and Jimbo's under a tremendous amount of stress and pressure. Clay, you're a Braves guy like me. Uh, first off, how about the ending of game two the other night, which was fantastic. Yeah, it was fabulous. Doesn't yeah. it also, though, feel like five games, not enough when you get to the NLDS after you played 162 games in the regular season? This just feels too yeah. short for me. Well, I mean, it makes it every game, you know, tenor hooks right um and that was an incredible way that that game ended and i'm about to hop a flight midway through atlanta so i'll be watching the braves game um on this flight from new york and uh yeah i i think it is true and i think i, I looked at the data uh the higher seeded team has won 54 percent of the time in major league baseball playoffs basically since they've expanded so it's essentially a coin flip um and uh and that's why they you know there's a big article about how the Major League Baseball postseason is a crapshoot, and over 162 games, the best team can win. But over a three-game series or a five-game series in particular, lots of craziness can happen. And all you have to do to think about that is, during the course of 162 games, how often does it happen that a team might lose three games in a row or over a five-game series, go uh, five-game stretch, go two and three? Almost all the time, right? Um, and so I think the lesser team is favored by the shorter series. Um, and I think that's why sometimes and oftentimes you get such a chaotic result, not to mention you can slot your best pitchers, which often means that there's not as much of a difference as there would be 
over a seven game series where you get further into uh, the depth of the, the, the pitching staffs. Clay Travis with us on Hot Mike with Hunt and Withrow across the Outkick Network. Uh, crazy is just one way to describe what's going on in New England. Since Brady has left, we we see the the bottoming out and the fact that we've seen a combined score of seventy two to three the last two weeks for the Patriots. Reports now that the Athletic has said Clay that uh, not only could Belichick be out after the year, he might not even get to choose his own exit plan, and that Robert Kraft may fire him. How crazy is that considering? the Patriot way and what Belichick has meant as much as what Brady has meant and then what we've seen since he's left. Well, it's funny because we spent years arguing was Brady or Belichick more uh, responsible for the overall New England Patriot dynasty. And then in the space of like four years, I mean, I'm talking about we spent like 15 years as that was one of the great debates in sports. Yeah. And in the space of about four years, everybody now has decided, yeah, it was Brady. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I think there's a lot of truth to the fact that Belichick, like most coaches in the NFL, despite how much praise we gave him, is a 500 coach if he doesn't have one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time uh, as his signal caller. And uh, if, if I had been advising Belichick, I mean, I'm sure he's made some money, but if he had decided to ride off into the sunset uh, when Brady left, I think there would still be a lot of argument about him as the potentially greatest coach of all time. Instead, you know, you're going to look at the before Brady and the after Brady, and there's only one real conclusion that we're left with, which is Brady was the aberration, the uh, addition that made Bill Belichick one of the greatest coaches of all time. And when he didn't have one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, he was a lot more like the rest of the NFL coaches than he was different. Clay, we have some new info as of today on Will Smith versus Chris Rock and the Oscar slap heard around the world. I, I want to present to you now. Crazy timing. And this. I don't know if you've seen this or not, but Jada Pinkett Smith did an interview with Variety and claims that Chris Rock, before the slap happened, when reports were out there that she was getting divorced from Will Smith or they lived separate lives, Chris Rock asked her out, called and asked her out on a date. And that this could be some of the problems that Will Smith had at the time when he slapped Chris Rock for making fun of her at the Oscars. Does this change your opinion at all of what went down? No, uh, because, I mean, I, I watched Chris Rock's comedy special. And I think what he said was, you know, is basically displaced outrage. And I'm paraphrasing. I think that was uh, the phrase that he used. Yeah. Um, I, I don't really think that Will Smith's anger about what was said had anything to do with Chris Rock. It had to do with all of the buildup of that, and Will Smith just snapped. Um, and so uh, I never really felt like it was – I mean, I think it's not a coincidence that he snapped on Chris Rock. Like, do I think he would have walked up and slapped Dwayne The Rock Johnson if he'd made the same joke? No. Nope. Um, and, uh, and so I've always thought that, you know, it was it reflected poorly on Will Smith from the moment it happened. But I also didn't think that that was, oh, I've got to react this way uh, because this was such an offensive, uh, outrageous thing that was said. I thought it was like, you know, the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back. Well, it, it also he... started, by the way, because of a really funny joke yeah. <laughs> Chris Rock had in 2016. This was during the, I don't know if you remember this, Clay, but the Oscars So White controversy 
where a lot of people boycotted yeah. the Oscars. Well, he hosted that year and made a joke about Jada Pinkett Smith boycotting the Oscars, basically saying, yeah, no one asked for this. You're never going to be considered for an Oscar anyway. Yeah. So yeah. that's not a big deal. And that all the outrage started at that point. So it really all goes back to comedians making jokes about people and the people that are offended by the jokes not taking it the way in which it was intended. Yeah, look, I'm pro-comedy, um, and I can't believe we have to be in this position even sometimes if people want to make me the butt of their jokes. You're pro-comedy um, and I mean, anti-cancer, right, Clay? You're, you're very consistent yeah. with that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. anti-grandma's dying. Um, yep. No one hates grandma's dying more than me. Um, proud of that, Stan. Um, but, look, I, I mean, you uh, the world that we've created where words are considered violence, where silence is considered violence, I think all you have to do is look at what happened on Saturday uh, in Israel to see that violence is violence uh, and that words themselves aren't. We should laugh, uh, have better senses of humor across the board. Um, and uh, and that's why, you know, I can't believe, you know, you have to be in favor of jokes. But I am pro jokes. I mean, I come back to and I wrote about this in my book when they had the protest uh, Netflix did about the jokes that Dave Chappelle was making. Uh, I, I thought it was fabulous that there were other people who showed up and they had a counter protest and they just walked around with signs that said, we like jokes, jokes are funny. And the people who were protesting who were trans grabbed their signs, broke them and may, demanded that they be escorted out of the protest. So, um, you know, my, my position in general, and I could be wrong on this, is that most terrorists don't have great senses of humor. Um, I don't think that, you know, if you were sitting around in a cave in Tora Bora uh, back in the day with the jihadists, um, I don't think you were just like rolling on the ground laughing every night, you know, as you sat around the fire and, uh, and, and chilled and thought about how to kill people. Maybe, maybe they're really hysterical terrorists. But in general, absolutism is the enemy of humor because humor requires nuance and absolutism requires no embrace of nuance at all. So maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's tons of hysterical, you know, suicide bombers. Uh, but in, in my experience, uh, I would suggest that that's low um, and that a good sense of humor is actually indicative of an ability to understand nuance, complexity. Art itself, to be frank, is rooted in nuance because without nuance, it's propaganda. And so I, I just think that's the world in which we live in now, where this moral absolutism uh, and identity, politics, and nature, you have to be defined by things that you don't choose. And, uh, and sometimes those definitions can, can lead to death. And so I'm opposed to uh, actual violence, uh, not to words that make people sad. I would not attend the open mic night at the Suicide Bomber Comedy Club. That is for sure. Yeah, yeah. I That's just, not I, one well, I'd be signing up for. They're only laughing about re I don't, recounting I what don't. they've done, right? I, yeah. Going through. I, I, I'd, I'd, definitely be, I'd definitely be nervous if there wasn't a... Uh, um, uh, metal detector at that one. Clay, uh, final 45 seconds or so each week, we try to get your, your top picks of the weekend. You like a lot of the home favorites this weekend in college football, Washington, Notre Dame, Tennessee. I do. Uh, my favorite bet is the over in that uh, Missouri Kentucky game. Uh, I think both offenses will have success there. Uh, and so I'm all in on that. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that, uh, I also think that Notre Dame and the under, I think Notre Dame will cover against USC. I hope you guys have had some fun talking about the way that they're trying to deal with rain by having the guy run around with the squirt gun, basically at the <laughs> USC campus, which I just, I couldn't stop laughing at just 
the idea like, hey, it's going to rain. Let's get a guy with a backpack full of water and just have him squirt the air just, um, yeah. around our punt returners. Um, I think it's one of the all-time funny They clips. should get Will Ferrell to do uh, that. But, uh, yeah, that would actually have been great. That would actually – and I also love how that came to happen. Like, they were probably like, hey, have you seen the weather forecast? Like, we're in trouble. And somebody was like, you know what we should do? We should get a uh, – we should get a uh, air, air – you know, like a, a, a squirt gun, and that'll take care of it. So, uh, hopefully they don't have any fumbles. Yeah, go to go find some super soakers uh, to the to the intern. Yeah, have uh, a safe sure. flight, Clay. Yeah, Clay, travel safe. All right, will do. There's Clay See Travis, uh, Outkick founder. Coming up, headlines uh, including plenty of trash talk after a blowout victory by the 49ers over the Dallas Cowboys. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Glad you're with us. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow. Chad is back. Back, baby. Are you in the chat? Are you back in the chat? Back in the chat. Is it hopping? Yeah. It's a little, little hit or miss. All right. Could be better. Live chat right now. Search out Outkick on YouTube. Hope you'll subscribe while you're Gotta there. Get our fill while we can, Hutton. Life is short. Time is precious. Never know when things are going away. Like sand... Through the hourglass, right. you never know. That's right. Tomorrow's never promised, ladies and gentlemen. That's what I'm trying to tell everyone. True words, Jad. Yep. I'm a prophet. Very what dark, can I say? Yeah, very dark and sinister outlook. Very dark. <laughs> very sinister. Uh, Both. Si- sinister by uh, George Kittle. I love this. Uh, having the F the Cowboys t-shirt underneath his uh, jersey on Sunday night football for that beat down. He scores three touchdowns. Micah Parsons noticed it. Uh, and on uh, his podcast, Parsons, by the way, I'm making headlines every week based yeah. on whatever he's saying on the edge, um, responded to Kittle doing this, rubbing some salt in the wound because Kittle posted it on his own Instagram page. Um, George Kittle had three touchdowns on us. He posted this thing to, uh, to Instagram. He said, F Dallas. I just feel like I just feel like he's making it way more personal than it had to be. Kittle's my guy. But I'm going to say this. Laugh now. Cry later. That from... Uh, Micah Parsons. The uh, the thing is, the, the laugh now, cry later, San Francisco shows up every week. Dallas does not. And Dak Prescott says that all offseason, they've been grinding on him, on, on his mind, been thinking about that loss to San Francisco now in two straight years uh, for the divisional round of the playoffs. We've seen San Francisco knock them out after two straight 12-win seasons by the Cowboys. Um, San Francisco's just straight better. They have playmakers that show up and produce week in and week out. And they have a quarterback that does the same thing, Chad. That's, that's the real laugh now, cry later mentality. I mean, San Fran is laughing and they'll be laughing again because we know the result. This is, this is the result of Dak Prescott. That's why you're just so hesitant to buy into what Dallas is, which is a good team, a really good team that's not going very far. Well, this is George Kittle's personality shining through. <clears throat> so I, I like that. After a shining game. Yeah, it would have been amazing had he posted that before the game um, and then gone out there and done it. But, but it, at shirt. least he's wearing the shirt under the jersey in order to show it off in the game. Yeah, he's not going to show it off if they lose or in a losing effort, right? right? I mean, so, uh, you know, a little bit of good and bad there uh, on not really calling a shot, but kind of calling a shot. And as someone who advocates for more hate in sports... And I'm talking about 
you know, genuine dislike amongst competitors where there is animosity and it's not all come over here and let's exchange jerseys and let's right. sign helmets and let's sign uh, receivers Everyone's gloves friends. and then chat it up and all be smiling and laughing right after the game's Immediately over. Immediately after. I don't want that. I, I, I like this. I like Michael Parsons going on his podcast saying, laugh now, cry later. I like the idea that Michael Parsons wants to stick it to Kittle if they meet in the playoffs. Now, he should want to do that anyways, and Michael Parsons is a great player. I believe he will want to do that. But now that I know there's added motivation, bring it on. Well, Parsons, I love it. With reporters in the locker room, he's saying, I don't really know if San Francisco's that much better than us. I think we're the same caliber playoff team, same talent, same standards as them. I just feel like we, we need to really consider some things to get, to get together and fix some things. I feel like it was a few plays away, but that's true. I'm inserting my own thing there. I feel like it was a few plays away. The score really didn't shape up to what really happened out there. Um, Debo Samuel says it may be worse than 42-10 if they meet again down the road. I love this. And chances are they will. Yeah, San Francisco look, I, will be hosting want, Dallas. Those 90s games between these two teams, bad blood. Every single time. I, I like this. Let's get a little back and forth going. George Kittle wants to wear an F Dallas shirt. Great. You want to show it off on social media? Awesome. Micah Parsons, who is sort of our modern-day Lawrence Taylor, the way he plays defense, if he wants to come back and say, laugh now, cry later, if I see you again, bring it on. Let's go. I love all this stuff. I wish more players got into it this way. Says he's not going to put too much on it. You're going to make it personal. We can make it personal. That's cool. I just don't want the fake. I don't want oh, phony isn't. toughness. I don't think it is with these guys at all. But I don't, and, I don't like the fakeness of it or, or phony. This isn't that. Well, because I but, think this is legitimate. No, I think Parsons is legit because he's he, on the same podcast weeks earlier, Chad. We've discussed this. He's taking up for Daniel Jones being yeah. in the game of the fourth quarter. He's uh, commenting on um, Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson. You know, that goes back to your everyone's friends and we're yeah, all but happy see, family. That, and that was, but I don't think he takes this mentality week in, week out no, with everyone. I, but that worried me a little bit when he kind of took this, oh, Joe Namath and being too mean on our guy Zach Wilson and, uh, you know, or the Rodney Harrison with the question right, right, about right. – you were out that day, I think, Hutton, but we, we got into it. And so many people were mad at Rodney Harrison. I'm, I'm asking the question, why? He's stating what everyone believes. Yes. And the way he asked it was, oh, come on. He's not – because it was it – was, Player talk. They were talking. Someone said, no, he's a special quarterback. And he said, you're not watching that film and seeing a special quarterback. You're watching that film. Your teammates thinking, this guy looks like trash. We're going to expose him in this game. And Chris Jones wouldn't go there with the answer. And people got mad at Rodney Harrison. I'm okay with that. And then everybody coming back, oh, he's not garbage. It was garbage, I think was the word. Yeah. Thinking, he didn't say he was a garbage human being or that his life meant nothing. He's talking about the film, which, by the way, leading up to that game was garbage. That's all that he's saying. So, Micah Parsons seems to be a little bit tougher now with his response now that he feels a personal attack from George Kittle for wearing that shirt. I love it. I want more of this. Chad, uh, the collapse of the Pac-12, well... TV rights and money. It's no secret that the, the Pac-12 received an offer from ESPN in 2022 for $30 million, uh, per season for the conference and to distribute to each team. And it sounds as though that the presidents and chancellors of the Pac-12, their demands for the new TV rights money that they wanted to come in was based on inaccurate data that was going to push them towards the middle of the money that was going to be received by the Big Ten 
and their new media rights contract that goes into effect starting next year with CBS and with Fox. And this goes on to mention in this new report that their demands were so lofty that it was more of like a laugh and chuckle and say, hey, don't let, don't let the door hit you on the way out. Go find that money elsewhere, and they couldn't do it. Yeah, this from the story from Ian Miller at OutKick, and this is quoting a John Canzano report. Uh, it's no secret the Pac-12 received a $30 million offer from ESPN in 2022, which the conference rapidly turned down. Now, the problem was that the infamous $50 million counteroffer was based on some misunderstanding of what ESPN was paying directly to the Big Ten. Now, the story doesn't say exactly what ESPN's paying the Big Ten, but the Pac-12 thought it was between 70 and $80 million. So if you're following along here, a counter of $50 million actually seems like it's pretty, it, it's pretty within the, the range of yes. what they should be asking for. They're not saying they're the Big Ten. They're saying they're 30 to $20 million less than the Big Ten annually. So they wanted to start there and then work their way down. But apparently because the numbers well, are wrong and that's not what ESPN was paying out to the Big Ten, well, keep ESPN mind, just whenever, walked. Whenever Tony Patetti was brought in as the new commissioner of the Big Ten, one of the things that was mentioned that was immediately on his desk was getting the details, the open-ended details of the television contract worked out uh, T's crossed, eyes dotted, because Kevin Warren, whenever he left, it was this $7 billion television contract, but there were a lot of loose ends to make it reach the $100 million mark. It was thought to be when, uh, again, when Patetti was hired and there were a lot of uh, uh, assumptions being made, it's closer, still above, but closer to what the SEC teams are receiving from ESPN moving forward. So uh, Utah President Taylor Randall is the one being quoted in this story. And Randall says, The Pac-12 presidents and chancellors work collectively in pursuit of a new media rights agreement. Though an offer was made by one of our media partners, we elected to take the rights to market to get the best deal. Throughout the process, many of the CEOs, including myself, pushed to ensure that the conference was aggressive to secure the best agreement we could. Several conference schools retained their own consultants to value the league, which resulted in a range of estimations. It is my understanding that any mention of $50 million, which was higher than any valuation, keep that in mind, higher than any valuation of any of the conference presidents that they received or the consultants, was only a potential starting point in negotiations to help get us to the estimated true value. Here would be my follow-up on all this. How was George Klyavikov so bad at his job and had such a poor relationship with ESPN that he couldn't immediately go back to them and say, guys, we want to do business here with you. What, what, you said 30, we said 50. Can we go back to 35, 38? I mean, the fact that ESPN walked because of that and did not want to do business with him is another damning piece of evidence about his leadership with the Pac-12. Not only walked, ESPN walked, no other network or streaming service stepped up even anywhere close Nowhere near to that. what that was. And it got to a point where it wasn't even the presidents and chancellors that were speaking. They were demanding more information Yeah, this, this past offseason. Hey, we're still waiting on the numbers here. We're, we're, we're touting the fact that we're going to get a deal. We keep being told that by the conference commissioner. And there was a lot of secrecy and silence behind it. It went from overstepping and overplaying their hand to not even having one. And that, 
to me, Chad, the story is, okay, they asked for one thing with ESPN. They turned down $30 million in 2022. Okay. But they went from that to nothing. There wasn't another network that stepped up to take that on. And they, even at that time, you knew that USC and, um, and UCLA were headed to the Big Ten. So that was happening. And since then, we know Oregon and Washington are out, and we know there's a Pac-2 instead of a Pac-12. It's crazy how it all happened behind the scenes. And I, it doesn't sound like even the presidents or the chancellors knew all the details that, w- that were going on. It was a lot of massaging the numbers to make it look like everything was going to be on the up and up and everything was going to be fine, just fine. Yeah, and David in the YouTube chat says ESPN wanted the Pac-12 to fold, period. Now, that may have been the case after they rejected the $30 million right. offer. The, the $50 million may have been inconsequential to what ESPN desired after the Pac-12 had the audacity to turn down the $30 million because in hindsight, that looks like charity because they weren't making that from anyone else when they looked at the valuation of the conference. So ESPN may have said, we've been great partners with you. We've made you very rich. We think this is more than your value. Here's the offer. And then when they say, no, we're going to take it to market, they may have determined then we're not doing business with you. And at that point, yeah, ESPN has the juice to squeeze the life out of the Pac-12 in this whole process. But in doing they may so, have very much wanted the, the desire to be, you're no longer going to be a conference at this point. And, and, and in doing that, though, keep this in mind. With the Pac-12 playing out the way it did, Chad, it also enhanced the value of the ACC to ESPN and ABC for, for programming. Who knows what the offer was like in 2022 for the $30 million. That doesn't necessarily mean Pac-12 after dark. That would have remained... But it's likely more ESPN Plus and streaming content, and there are a lot of channels and a lot of uh, a lot of subscriptions that they need to serve as a company. So the ACC, I think, is bolstered by the fact that the Pac-12 overplayed this so much. Well, and USC UCLA leaving, you know, ESPN is also thinking we're we're spending this much on Big Ten. They're over there now. We we have them. Do we w- really want to keep spending money on all these leagues and? Well, Just made the business decision that, that they're time, done. Though, but at that time, though, they had the SEC coming in and the Big Ten departing, you know, with, with the, the, the flip-flop. Yeah. So with the offer for the Pac-12, I just think it's more about we, they need assets for programming. They need yeah, content. And, I, and, that, and by the Pac-12 going away, the ACC is protected in a way that the Pac-12 right. was not. No, and I've I, I'm, I'm, I misworded that. What I'm saying is they were offered that when they're making the offer, they had USC and UCLA yes, yes. and that was the value of it. Now they're saying, well, they're out the door now. So this isn't valuable. Right. We gave you more than a fair offer. You're going to come back with this BS $50 million. We're done here. And Oh, by the way, you're now done. And they could have affected things that way. It's a sad deal. Overall, it's a sad deal because the PAC 12 was a good conference and they're great this year. Yeah. They're, this they're year. going out with a bang. And who knows, the schedule towards the back half of the season, maybe they they eat their own and they don't go out with the college football playoff team and representative. More headlines next, plus we discuss some of the best quarterbacks in the country out west.